We are back and we're sorry because we went away for a while and we're now coming back and we're gonna say sorry, we're back. Should we start with an apology? Is that professional? Hmm. <laughs> Do you want to start again? Nah, that's not a great start, is it? Do you want to roll again? No, keep going. Uh, hi there, we are, this is George and Steve in case you forgot, uh, back after a hiatus of sorts um you know what some podcasts do is just we could just call this season two of the podcasts <laughs> i've seen some people just do that um we've uh we've been away for about a month haven't we george i've been a sick little puppy steve george has been coughing and <coughs> spluttering <coughs> oh, oh good hmm. um uh yeah he's been coughing up a storm in <laughs> copenhagen and he's just got back to England, and he's, uh, you're better now? I'd say I'm about 85%, Steve. 85%, and that's what you're getting. <laughs> that's what you're getting. You're getting 85% capacity that's right That's just here. health, that's not my chat. Um, that's much lower. Right, right. Um, yeah, so we, you know, we're back. We didn't, we didn't disappear, um, you know couple of people messaged you and said where's my podcast literally a couple a, a good couple i'd say a good couple the pair of you um, thanks for your firm two people um Steve, so can hey I, let's can i just let's make, get into this let's stop with make, a make a little point you popped up a message saying oh george has been really unwell podcast will be back soon yes didn't see any comments about oh how is he is he all right how's he feeling i didn't they weren't rushing out. No, <laughs> I was. No, I, I, I thought when I put this out, people are gonna. I said, I thought I don't want to write this tweet, and everyone's gonna worry that George is, you know, really at death's well, door. Well, you, you didn't have to worry, Steve. And no one even said, <laughs> "Is he? What's wrong with him? Is he all right?" He's been away for a month. <laughs> yeah, months a long time. <laughs> Quite a lot of time. No, in no, this no, no, no. Carry yeah, on. I thought everyone's gonna get too worried about this. Mm. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I mean, people just. People trust that you'll just you'll be alright, you're a trooper. Or they just don't care. Let's you know Deadwood. I'm half full man, so um I know I know you've missed us, but we are we are back and we've got things to say. We're in the uh, in the place where this all started. I'm now back in the UK. I've moved back after my jaunt abroad. Um, and we're back in the house where this all began. Yeah, we're back in my parents' house, uh, where all good podcasts start and, <laughs> and then. <laughs> and then. Um, yeah, we're back. Uh, it feels like, yeah, it's, it's been nearly, it's been coming up closer to a year now since we started. Um, and it feels like nothing's changed. Uh, no, of course, a lot's changed. Uh, I've been away, as you know. George has been away in Copenhagen for a lot of the year. Um, and uh, we did what we said we were going to do, George. We said we were going to adventure out a bit more this year. We said we were going to travel. Um, we both spent quite a lot of it in and out of the country. We have. And with a, with a little trip to Asia to come. Don't tell Greta. Uh, no, no, don't tell Greta. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I feel like... What's been going on with you? I think we should at least know. I've been ill for months, Steve. Not much has been happening, to be really you... honest. Uh, okay. I mean, what's bit, what do you do when you... What have you been doing when you're ill? Uh, I'll give you a quick funny anecdote about how bad things got. Um, girlfriend and I were subletting a furnished apartment. Fiancé. All right, come on. It's not... Just, I... You have a fiancé. Yeah, right. I don't know. You know how I feel about French words. <laughs> um, 
sorry to any French listeners, they just they don't roll off my tongue very well. Um, uh, staying in this kind of furnished apartment, came back to the UK for a wedding. I was feeling very ill. I think, without getting too graphic, Steve, I had a horrible chest infection. I was coughing like like bilio. Yep. Flew back to Denmark very late in the evening, well, very late at night, not feeling well. Just wanted to curl up on the sofa, pop myself in the bed, you know, get get hunkered, as yeah, we yeah. say. Yeah, you just want everything the way you have you it. You know, have like... it all set up. Fully furnished apartment, Steve. Furniture's well, all obviously, there. Obviously, I'd assume, I'd assume it's fully furnished. It's in the name. It was all there when we left on the Friday, Steve. We pop back Sunday night, uh, open the front door, everything's gone. All the furniture gone. Sick to my stomach, lying on a cold wooden Danish floor, coughing my guts up. I just so you and mm. you and Elizabeth open the door. Yeah, pop the door open, and there's nothing in nothing your, there. nothing in your flat that nothing you've been living there. in for eight months. Books piled up on one side, a few clothes tipped up on the floor. The other. Did you what? Did you think you had been robbed immediately? Briefly thought we'd been robbed, and then realised there'd been a mix-up. And then realised, why would a robber take the entire bed frame? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, hasn't been a great month. Sass on the floor. Uh, Do you want to tell people why you had no stuff in your house? I mean, it's probably quite a long-winded, boring anecdote. It's not not particularly interesting. The short version version is they've been staying at a friend's place. Yeah. And that friend was arranged to take all their things uh, to put them somewhere else, but. George forgot that <laughs> right. he was informed of that. Yeah. And so he showed up completely forgetting that this was happening. And then George sent me a picture of where him and his fiance are living, young couple, <laughs> professionals, mm. both very highly educated, you know, out there in the world. There's, there's literally a blanket on the floor <laughs> and a chair by a window as if George had just been sat on it, staring out He's, of it. Like I was a, using a window ledge as a desk, that's how tragic Like a it was. Scandinavian play, like an Ibsen play. <sighs> it's just you sat on a chair eating rye bread, sort of looking at the ducks. That's been my last month. But now we're back. We're now back in opulent Essex. Uh, finally. Sat on, a, sat on a sofa. It's good to be back. Breath of fresh air. Um, and uh, what, what have I been doing? I mean, I've been... You know, I've I've did all my heady travelling, George, as we spoke about in our last episode, which was a while ago. And forgotten all about it. Yeah, now it's it's already feels like it feels like I've been back a long time, I'll say. And it's just things are it's like I was doing all this sort of, you know, jaunting about America and now I'm sort of sat here, I go to the gym, I just sit and do my work. I'm in Essex in my parents' house, so you know, I'm not. I'm not in dazzling the bright lights of London, and I was just like, "Wow, I think I think I need to go away or something again. I need to change my life again because if I'm sat here for a month, I sort of get a mild sense of ennui, a bit mm. of a sense of everything being the same. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, so that's been me. But you know, what I have been doing. I've been doing a lot of bloody reading. It's the only thing I could do when I was. Well, I say bedridden, floor floor bound. Lots of reading myself. Right. So you can read when you're ill, because I find that quite yeah. difficult. If I don't have a headache, I can read. Right. Mm. What my thinking is is why'd some... you why'd you bring that up? Well, because you guessed it. We're going to talk about books today. You're kidding? Not again. <laughs> um, Here we go. Yeah, because I skip this episode. What I find is when I am sat there, you know, I was sort of I booked. I've booked this Asia trip coming up that we talked about 
a lot in an earlier podcast about travel, something I've wanted to do for ages, but it's sort of been on the horizon for months now because I sort of planned it quite early. And so now this last month has felt like a bit of a like, I'm really waiting for that to come up. And I don't like being the kind of person who wishes my life away because I think it's probably unhealthy. So I was like, well, I don't want to just be like, oh, I want want this trip to happen. And that's not normal for me because usually I'm very engaged. So I thought I'm going to, what I'm going to do is just exploit this time to read, watch a lot of films and just sort of get very, you know, culturally caught up on a lot of things I want to do. So that was my sort of, okay, I'm going to go on a bit of a culture binge. And it made me think about reading in general, George, something that people aspire to do a lot of, mm-hmm. something we've talked about a lot in this podcast. We're very passionate. Um, I don't think we just read for self-improvement reasons. I think we genuinely are just very passionate about reading literature and things like that. But I think most people aspire to... I think most curious, intelligent people aspire to improve the rate or amount at which they read. Do you think that's fair? For sure. And um, it become, to me, it becomes quite an addictive process. Yes. Yeah, and it does. And it's very easy to fall off the wagon and it's very easy to, you know, let weeks and months go by. If you If you come off of it, it can feel like it's like trying to get back into the gym after like putting on 10 pounds and and not want to do that and so i thought we could do a podcast where we actually talk about some of our reading habits uh the things we found useful how to get more out of what you read dare i say how to enjoy it more because i think to a lot of people it's an eat your vegetables type task especially people who don't read a lot um and even people who do they can just feel like i need to improve that muscle um so where do you want to start with this? Do you want to start with the kind of things we read? Because um, I imagine there's a lot of new people who don't know that sort of thing. Um, our relationship with reading or your biography with reading, George. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I think we both read fairly similar kind of areas. I'd say you read more non-fiction than I do. I probably read a bit more fiction than you just about. But um, we both read a lot and... Uh, I've been, I would say like, I've always been a reader, but in my kind of adult life, I've been sort of efficiently and effectively reading a lot of stuff for about 10 years, I would say, kind of from around the time I started my degree, which was an English degree, so that kind of wet my whistle for it, so... um, Yeah, and in some ways you took the degree before you were... You, you're a way more voracious reader now than you were before that degree. Yeah, well, I think that that is real kind of proof the, in the pudding of what you just said in the way that often people feel like they have to read to kind of meet some sort of social expectation standards or there's a kind of prescribed list of things that are important to read. And an English degree can often be, you need to have read all the Jane Austen and all the Shakespeare and all the Dickens. Right. And if you don't care about it, it's very off-putting. So in my... Certainly in the first couple of years of my degree, I wasn't really enamoured with the things we were reading. Um, it was more when things became elective and I could pick contemporary American fiction or things that sort of chimed with me a bit more. But that is such a big a big issue that puts people off, I think, is reading things for the sake of it or to meet a, a standard externally imposed upon them rather than purely out of interest. Yeah, um, yeah so that's, for sure. So that's kind of 
tip. It's not really a tip as much as don't do, don't do anything for the sake of it. You know. Yeah, I think um, I think I think it's it's just that to some people, especially say fiction. There's lots of people who go, well, I just find fiction very difficult to read, and I think a lot of people's conception of fiction is either some particular prize-winning novel that maybe they're not that interested in, but they feel, oh, everyone said this won a prize this year. Or they go, well, it's I, I need to be reading Dickens and Henry James and Charlotte Bronte and whatever. And I think then they just think, well, that stuff doesn't feel... That, that feels like going back and doing homework and I mm-hmm. have to read a big Victorian novel. Yeah. And so I... Or, or they think I've got to read, like, Tolstoy or something, which is almost something you need to warm up yourself for a bit you don't want to just start with war and peace um so yeah i i I do think it i'm a great lover of the western canon of literature i'm a big champion there's many classics big meaty dense classics i love but i think you need to you know if you're if you're just wanting to read i think it's different reasons people want to read and obviously if you are just very information based and wanting to just hoover up knowledge perhaps you're not so fussed about going and reading Moby Dick or something but you know let's say you just generally aspire to read more fiction I think you're better off looking at the kind of I think you're better off starting with a bit more of a smorgasbord approach and trying a few things even I would even say if you don't necessarily I'd say even if you like picked went shopping for like five five to ten novels you think you might like let's say five to start and almost seeing which ones from actual just appeal of the writing the style you gravitate to the most because i think if you're if you're at the level where you just want to get warmed up i think you just need to start with what's exciting and engaging for you uh so yeah and i think the same with non-fiction like things you know in a if you're a big history buff and just look for the most sort of accessible, enjoyable history on a particular war or a particular person you really want to learn more about. If you're philosophy, then look for like a popular philosophy book that's going to start with more basic concepts and get you just into the, you know, say it was like one of those, I think Nigel Warburton has like a short history of philosophy book and you're better than where you're going to start to see he just does a dance through some of the major thinkers from like Hobbes to Machiavelli to Marx, etc., And then you're going to read some of them and go, well, I was really interested in uh, Spinoza when he talked about that, or I was really interested in David Hume. And then you can kind of start specializing your reading a bit more. But I think, I think starting as a generalist is definitely a way to a gateway to kind of getting into what you like. But, but with fiction, it's, I find fiction is so personal and I find it, it's almost better to, I think if you're, I assume, I assume a lot of people who listen to this probably aren't at a starting stage. Probably there are people who, who I know there are people who listen to us who read fiction a lot, but if I'm trying to tell someone who wants to read more fiction, I, I try and give them a bunch of options of things they might enjoy and tell them to try a few and see, you know, yeah, see which they take to the most. I mean, how about you? Well, the, uh, what you were saying there, there's two things that, I'd latch on to one of them is the question of how do you find the books you want to read Mm. and that's something I want to talk about in a second but what you said there about how people reading the kind of older texts often feel like they're doing their homework I think something that really helped me and I found a much more interesting way of getting into fiction is by reading contemporary stuff first 
and kind of finding the things that are inspired by yeah the older texts so kind of reading yeah just a, a few contemporary novels something that's in the book a list or just something that grabs your eye now and then once you've built up a kind of some reference points and you go back to something considered a classic you'll just get that that much more from it because of the kind of intertextuality of oh that influenced this guy or this happened and you feel a bit more like part of the chain of how fiction has developed yeah whereas i think if you just read you know um frankenstein and you kind of go oh this is what an epistolary novel is like but you don't really see how other things have gone from you're better yeah. off almost starting at the end of the chain and then working your way back and you the how those classics resonate through time comes off so much more if you see where they go yeah well i know like you know it's often useful to find an author you really like now and and you'll start reading about on their wikipedia page you'll hit you'll read stuff that they said influenced them yeah if you read stephen king and you know you read Carrie or it or something and then he'll say oh he got really inspired by like H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe or whoever it's like you yeah then you've got a bit more context for like who H.P. Lovecraft is and why they matter or Bram Stoker writing Dracula or something but um yeah I I think that's definitely that's definitely a good way but if you were if you were looking in, in like contemporary fiction I mean we'll get off basic level because we assume a lot of people read uh at some point but um yeah if you if you're just looking at contemporary fiction do you try and because some people who i know who read loads of fiction but they love Mm sci-fi and they just read a lot of sci-fi and they don't really engage with literary fiction at all some people just read like horror and fantasy do you think those people do you well first do you think those people should be encouraged to sort of you should be encouraged to cross to genres you might initially not think about. Or do you think you should just go where your heart dictates? Yeah, should's a bit of a dangerous word there because I don't think there's like an objective list of what... If you really love horror, obviously the reading is on the basic level for pleasure, right? So if you get pleasure from it, then obviously just read the niche that you like. I'm fairly broad-minded i suppose and to me that would be like only watching western films or something it it would feel a bit limited knowing that there's a much broader palette out there but um yeah if if you if you know what you like and you can sort of tunnel into that that's great but i sometimes i burn myself out on things like one of my favorite authors without any question and you would say the same sort of pg woodhouse yeah super funny super enjoyable like the great prose stylist in many ways probably written i don't know over 100 novels maybe yeah. published about 150 books i've read maybe 60 of them and like you need a break you know however yeah. great they are and i think with with genre fiction you there's so many tropes that often you don't feel like there's too much difference crime well written crime it still really comes down to who did it and how did they do it you yeah know, there's not too many things at work whereas i think the great kind of quote-unquote literary fiction plays so much more with technical aspects as well as plotting and character development in the way that great film uses you know the camera as much as the characters or the plotting so i i like the all of the tools being used yeah yeah rather than the tropes of the genre being the only way to differentiate the differences within the yeah editions well literary fiction feels more like it's yeah it's often playing with form in interesting ways or using the language in an innovative way and yeah something distinct about the voice the style and and more 
in some ways styled and about like what the plot is is not so as important or the, it's more character based I'm going to just fire a recommendation in on the back of that as just something that I read recently that I thought was excellent um, was called it's probably quite a British specific um, novel because well it's, it's true crime I would say but it's called you could do something amazing with your life you are Raoul Moat um, and it's a it's about a shooting spree I suppose that happened in the UK in about 2010 up in the north of England and um, uh, a kind of I guess disenfranchised guy murdered uh, murdered a couple of people hid out in the woods and there was a big kind of public manhunt and it it had loads of press coverage and everything and it was kind of a tabloid press scandal and uh, the author Andrew Hankinson has found all of the diaries, medical reports, audio recordings made by the kind of perpetrator and stitched them together into this first person narrative so he's taken what is otherwise a fairly traditional genre I would say in true crime but he's used kind of first person narration, it's almost written like a screenplay, Uh, it's very short and very impactful and that was to me really gripping because it it used all the different mechanisms available to him rather than just being this guy did this on this date and he did this and that it was inside his head it was first person and really gripping but I think almost all of it was actually cited text examples there was barely any fiction at any point Um, and I think that's a really great way to, to play with yeah, the constraints of a genre. So I, I would certainly recommend that book to anyone. It's a very quick read as well. Um, but yeah, for the issue of finding the things that you like, but you know, before you know that that's your genre of choice or whatever, what what are your techniques, topics, or t- techniques and approaches for finding the the things that you do like? Um, I I tend to. Um, I have a few sources and outlets. I'm always like. I guess I'm always hunting like occasionally I'm physically hunting in a bookshop and just seeing what catches my eye that's new that's usually just for brand new stuff looking things like that but I'm also I think there's a lot to be said for looking at people you like and the books they are reading and enjoying and you, you mean can, your peers or you mean um, I mean celebrities I mean like yeah I mean thinkers and people yeah. you enjoy um, sometimes there's blogs by like philosophers or economists I follow or you know just other things thinkers I listen to and podcasts and like you know they'll often have a Twitter account or a blog and they talk about the things they recommend or are reading and and that sometimes just gives me yeah it's just like listening to a podcast of an author I'm I have a side interest in physics and just if I hear a certain physics author on a podcast and I'll be like oh they've got this book and then I'll look at that and they'll talk about other books they think are really good in physics and so it just kind of leads to that chain of finding recommendations through people who are interesting to you and I think now and ever it's easier never to do that because you can just look up the people you like and find some blogs or interviews where they've talked about that um I also um I mean you you know it does help to read things like you know if you if getting a Sunday newspaper you like and looking through the things they're reviewing and talking about just gives you ideas. Uh, you don't always care for what's on, like, the, say, the Sunday Times bestseller list. Sometimes it's a bunch of stuff I wouldn't care about, but I might read a couple of reviews and I'll realise, like, oh, I didn't know there was some new book about 
Napoleon or Churchill out that I want to look at or something like that. So I think I think it's just very easy for these things. There's so much published, it's easy for things to pass you by. So sort of almost curating and, and constantly being on the lookout for stuff you might be interested in. Um, I find you have to be quite proactive about it because you just won't... A lot of things won't fall on your lap easily unless you are actually Googling around looking for... Yeah, on the, the kind of newspaper front in the UK, The Guardian is one of the few newspapers that's still completely free access online. Yeah. And their culture page does have some really good book stuff, particularly in the summer and just before Christmas, they do... Um, uh, it's usually a two-part article of authors' favourite books, so either authors' yes. holiday reads or authors' best books of the year. And I've discovered some really, really good... That's how I discovered Edward St. Auburn, who's an author yeah. I've talked to, well, we've both kind of championed a lot. Um, these are the people who are kind of in the publishing world, right? They obviously get, yeah, for sure. You know, they have the, Their friends are the other writers. They have access to so much more stuff, so... Yeah, kind of referring to their opinion is always a good way to go. Yeah, and the the Guardian just did a. um, It might be accessible fairly easily, but they they just did a hundred best books Mm. published in the last century. Yeah, and I found loads of of, this century, right? Of this century, um, and I found loads. No, it was. I think it was from now, from a hundred years ago, so like nineteen eighty. No, it was twenty first century. Was it? Yeah. Oh, there you go. You know more than me. Um, Yeah, and it, it just had some things where I. They were already on my list, and then it had certain ones where I a book had completely passed me by, and they were talking to people like Zadie Smith about their favourite ones, and just many things were. It's like if you sometimes you hear about a book three or four times, and you're like, oh, I really must read that because enough mm. people have spoken about it. Um, yeah, so I, but but yeah, I I think you have to be proactive about looking for the thing, looking for things, talking about books, talking about because it's so. Again, it's so idiosyncratic about what you're actually going to enjoy and like that I think you have to try a few things initially and be willing to just discard things that aren't really doing it for you so that you don't feel like... Some people start a book, and if you're starting like a 400-page book and it just doesn't feel... It doesn't feel enough to you early on it's that's a lot to persevere for you if you don't read a lot yeah um if you do read a lot then you might think well i'll read this in a few days and it's fine that is it that's exactly where i'm at and i've had i've had a couple of stinkers this year right that have been you know big undertakings and i've kind of jotted down here that like i always finish the book i start you know right as best as i can almost without fail i'll finish the book i'm reading but i certainly if i was just you know i've got time to read a few books a year you wouldn't approach it with the same. No, you would. Yeah, you have to be. You'd have to be much more as, selec- yeah, selective as possible. And and actually, I so this is an interesting thing to talk about about reading habits and finishing books because um, I've been reading about different people's philosophies on this. And an economist whose blog I follow very regularly, uh, an economist called Tyler Cohen, he has a very good podcast called Conversations with Tyler. Um, so there's a little plug for another <laughs> podcast. Um, and uh, he talks about, you know, he reads a lot a year, probably over 150 books or something. Oh, um, and maybe 150 to 200. But he Dark. he has different... Um, Mugging, me. <laughs> yeah. And he seems well... For, like, an economist, he seems well-versed in the classics and things as well, classic literature and things like that. But he, uh, he has an approach where he seems to be much more... Um, less precious about books. He he gets rid of a lot quickly if he's not, you know, he'll order tons, but he'll kind of, you know, breeze through something if he's not really, if he just wants a bit of the gist of like a non-fiction book. Um, and 
he'll discard books extremely fast if they're not doing it for him. But one thing, one thing I and one thing I found on this where I think you can be a lot less precious, and this is a technique that purely works for me, and I don't know if it does for anyone else, but if I find a book I'm reading, because I do read for a mix of pleasure, and actually sometimes it is like doing homework, but I'm reading a literary classic because I really, I really want to read The Odyssey or I really want to read um, Virgil or something. But sometimes if I'm finding it's like, oh, this is a slow-going 100 pages in the book... I tend to just artificially speed up my reading well beyond my normal level. And I d I'm not a speed reader naturally, but I do it because I think I'd rather take this in even at a 50% if I'm not completely enjoying it because I want to actually, I want to finish this book and read all of, uh, all right, let's say it's Virgil, the Aeneid. It's like, oh, I want to read the Aeneid, but I don't really need it in that deep. I don't yeah. need a deep critical study of it. Or just want say to you want to read, say you want to read Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, but it's like I don't want to read this modernist thing with that's com confusing and strange. But you're like, well, I want to read it so I have an impression of it and a view. I will honest, I would just speed it up so I read it within a couple of days. But I feel like I got as much comprehension as I wanted out of that. And sometimes with non-fiction, you can do the same, where some non-fiction is so gripping and so interesting that you are passing through all the details with a fine-tooth comb because you're like, there's so much, so many nuggets here. But sometimes I'm reading a book because I just want to read this economics book about this particular idea, um, or say it's a historical book like a Hayek book or a, I don't know, whatever, Milton Friedman or Keynes or someone. And I think I just want to kind of, yeah, I just want to get through it and get the main ideas so I would just breeze through those and I think it's a tactic I haven't heard spoken about much but yeah almost speed reading the things that you want to eat your vegetables on but don't want to go through like a month of reading it the thing that is I agree in that I've done that certainly but that is a bit more of a kind of niche outlook I suppose like where you said you know it feels a bit like you're doing your homework when you said that initially i thought you were talking more about the books you have to read for your job no i just and mean with those... but i think some people do read purely because they do think i would like to read um wuthering heights mm -hmm. but they maybe don't want to pass they don't want to spend like a month with it no it's just uh, i think what i find interesting there is the motive that compels you to read and get through something that you don't really like that much presumably it's so you can either partake in a conversation about it or have you know enough kind of grip of it to you know justify the expenditure of your time but if you're only absorbing you know kind of 35 40 percent understanding of that text it's almost a futile exercise right uh, it, and, but it, it is and it isn't because say reading you know if there's something big and i love it like i read that hillary mantel's wolf hall it was wonderful and i was really into it and spent time with it but if it was uh you know if there was, say, yeah, I don't know, some ancient Greek poem I want to read, uh, but I would want to, you know, maybe just for a combination of reading that fairly quickly, Googling some, like, reading some parts of, like, why it's important, some essays on it, things like that, I might have a sense of, like, I'll have a sense of it and its context and importance. I'll have most of what I need from it without needing to say, I'm not a scholar now on yeah, of course. on a you know, Sophocles, but I might be like, well, I, I read that play quickly and kind of read yeah. about it and I kind of understand I think that's it. Just quite, I think that's just quite a niche position, right? I don't think, unless you are an avid reader, I don't think 
you know, if you read 15 books a year, I don't think you're going to right. suffer through something to acquire kind of the gist. Right. But here's what I do think. I think if you say you want to read a bunch of about, I think people make something too intimidating to have to read. Whereas if you want to read about, um, say you want to read about the financial crisis of, you know, of 2008, you could, you could get five books on that and you're probably in some ways do, you could skim through like nonfiction. You can do this more with what I'm talking about, but you could almost get through the introduction conclusion, getting kind of going through the main chaps fairly quickly. You would get, five distinct viewpoints fairly fast you could become quite well versed on the opinions on that field without having to go through five books cover to cover Mm -hmm. like and some people would want to do that but they'd be like oh i want to read about that but it's just too i just don't want i don't have time to like spend months of my year like well i think that just fiction and non-fiction are very different beasts so that approach to me is not an approach I can't see that there's too many people who would then go, oh, that's a really good way that I'll get through a load of fiction that I'm not enjoying. Right. Because I think reading a lot of classic fiction is either to, you know, um, inform other things that you do, like we said earlier about kind of knowing the intertextuality of stuff, or it's to, I don't know, engage in a wider conversation with others or something. And if you have to suffer through it and you only kind of, yeah, understand it to a degree with something artistic it's almost like I don't want to say what's the point but more what's the point of struggling through it if there's things to enjoy whereas wanting to understand the political event or a historical event is maybe a different you know having 30% understanding of the financial crisis is better than none having 30% understanding of what happens in a novel if you're then going to engage with other people about it you know it's like it's not enough in many ways if the other option is read something that you would really enjoy yeah, I suppose that's right. But you still, yeah. If you're if you're reading a lot of literature, you might still want some. Yeah, you might think like, anything is better than to. nothing. I I certainly agree with that outlook. But it's more if you have limited time or opportunities to. Yeah, things. and and it's true. You'll probably find like like some big dense literary classics. I do find a real slog, and then others I'm like stunned at how much I'm just enjoying the aesthetic pleasure of like, you know, reading. Um, you know, Moby Dick or Ulysses or something, and it will be like, oh, this is actually like, or I'm, I've been reading accounts of Monte Cristo. It's like this is really readable and enjoyable, and mm-hmm. I'm engaged. So sometimes it's surprisingly easier than you thought. But, um, but yes, um, uh, other things on reading habits. When you talked about uh, needing to kind of um, be active in your search. And you said that just sort of popping into bookshops is a good, is a good way to just find things. For me, use, uh, using like bookshops personal staff recommendations, I found some really great stuff from there. And something I've um, been trying to do is wherever I travel, I try and get at least one book, obviously in translation, from that place as a kind of in oh, yeah. to the country or city that I'm visiting. And particularly independent bookshops, but often you know in the UK, somewhere like Waterstones. Um, they do have a really good kind of local recommendations approach. Even when we lived in London, you'd go into one of these bookshops and they would just have, you know, 10 of the best novels set in London or about London. And it's such a great a great way to access things because I, I'm fairly anti-recommendation by algorithm. Um, so someone like Amazon isn't going to give you those kind of local niche 
um, tips and yeah. Do you like the recommendations Amazon gives you? Do you like those recommendations? I mean, I've given it a lot of data to feed off of. So because <laughs> yeah. it does sometimes, it does bring me something. It but, does, but yeah. I think it's just it's not quite the same, right? So it's much harder to browse. Like browsing online, I find is is if you're browsing on like an Amazon shop, it's just it's just very hard to really. You, you just end up drifting towards the things you already do. You it's, don't find any many surprises when you're just... No, and a couple of things for me is... So I around the time that I sort of started becoming an avid reader again was was the time that I used to work in Waterstone. So I, I worked there on and off for about two years. And in the period of time that I worked there, so this is probably the, the biggest bookshop chain in the UK. I think that they are in some other countries as well. Um, when I started working there, they'd for uh, kind of financial reasons, whatever reasons, they had a real kind of pilot high and sell it and all the same stock across all stores across the country kind of outlook. Uh, didn't work out very well, kind of tanked, got sold out and bought out by another guy who runs Daunt Books in London, which kind of thrive on doing these local recommendations, particular yeah. to different areas and lots of travel stuff. And he shifted the approach so that the managers of the stores dictated kind of front front of store recommendations tables and local recommendations yeah. and turned the company around massively. It created that kind of local engagement with bookshops, but it makes visiting the bookshop at, you know, St. Paul's completely different to visiting the one up in Lancashire or whatever it would be. And you just get these, these different flavors of the booksellers. And it made me realize how well-versed booksellers often are because mm. they... Not always, right? Obviously, if people who work in all sorts of service industry, you get amazing experiences and less good experiences. But in general, the booksellers often, they're dealing with, with the buyers and with the publishers, so they're getting like early access to what's coming. They're kind of expected to do a lot of reading for their work anyway. They're people you know like to read, so know their recommendations. And to me, that really shines through when you when you hit up the recommendation boards in, in bookshops, like you can tell that people have, you know, they're not just reading what's in the bestseller list. They're doing a kind of a deep dive. And I found a lot of great stuff from that. So I would encourage anyone and everyone to go, to go that way for sure. Yeah. To go back to something you said, I find when I travel, it's a really good reason to force myself to like to to add extra motivation to read a ton of things I wouldn't have read before, even if it's as arbitrary as I'm going to France or Italy for a trip, I'll just make a reason. I think Anthony Bourdain talked about this. I just I'll read a novel set in Paris. I do that hundred uh, percent all the that. time. Just I'm going to go to Italy, so I read something with Italy in it, yeah. and it just gives you it just gives you some extra juice for doing it because you're like I'm going to hear locations that I'll know so when I get there. Something that. I find quite, well, it's a nice problem to have, but can be difficult. And I think it maybe is, is the same for a lot of people who are kind of into books is you have a huge to read pile and you often buy books. Like my to read pile at the moment is about a hundred books deep. And I bought some of those maybe years ago, like two or three years ago with the intention in that moment when I bought it, I was super excited to read it got sidetracked, two or three other things came up, and then for three years it's not at all been my interest to read. And I find it quite hard to kind of... It's finding excuses to re-energise yourself to latch onto that book that maybe four years ago you bought. And also, if you're someone who buys a lot of second-hand books, 
you can often be left with like a really gross kind of brown dust jacket that's not inspiring. <laughs> so you picked it up for the content reasons and then you kind of forget what they are and you look at it and you think, oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Not interested. So, oh, it's set in Paris. I'm going to Paris. That's a great chance to yeah. kind of get into it. And something I do, it's really, really quite sad, but I, oh, I kind of have my to-read pile kind of arranged in the five or six that are kind of in my mind I kind of bring to the front and think they're there for me to grab but then I'll rearrange that if I saw a documentary it was about dinosaurs there's a book about dinosaurs on my shelf I'll kind of move that to the front and I'll constantly update it otherwise you're just looking at the same sort of five spines you know so I I try yeah based on what's going on or what someone said, I try and just kind of rejig them. If you've got the luxury of having a big pile of books to read, it's a nice way yeah. to keep them updated. I, I do things like that where I, I just get sick of looking... Yeah, even just the same to-read pile starts to look... I'm like, why have I arbitrarily decided these books have to be? And I'll, sometimes I will go and, yeah, slip in a few other things that are exciting because things do... Things that seem exciting a month ago do dry up on you and I think yeah. there is something to just keeping that enthusiasm ball rolling like because if you do it's more likely you'll read a few books this month than like none because you're like working through treacle like one that you you've got like fallen out of favor with so almost just finding like what's the next thing that's going to really excite me and then occasionally I do again you say this is a, a niche sort of thing but occasionally I throw in a bit of a like Okay, I've been meaning to read, you know, uh, John Milton for years now. I'm gonna just read John Milton now. Like, I'm gonna read Paradise Lost now. Yeah. So sometimes I will just go. There's not gonna be a day where I'm just gonna be like, yeah, um, jonesing to read Paradise Lost. But yeah, for sure. I'll throw but, it in. You know, you could. I don't know the uh, the Philip Pullman books. They're really inspired by Milton, right? So you might have read the new Pullman, and then that might be the gateway to read that thing that you otherwise wouldn't touch. Oh, definitely. So, yeah, I, I kind of try and order the books I'm going to read as well to a, to a point that can yeah. help you kind of chain from one to the other. But I think in a really quite fickle way, if you can buy nice editions of things or just have nice covers because often it's great to be able to buy like, you know, two, three pounds secondhand books online, but you often don't get the jacket that you thought you were getting and you might be left with a really tatty old 70s penguin I paperback. find the thing that's very annoying about old books is tiny text as well. Some, yeah. some of them have font size that is so off-putting that I just read it and it's like, it's, yeah, it's just teeny tiny. I say, oh no, like each yeah. page is a bit like sludge trying to get through. And sometimes you've got a big lovely hardback it's just so much more of a pleasure. You like to, you like to smell your books, don't you? I well? love to smell a book. I really do. A lovely smooth cover and just just lovely. Get your, get your nose in there. Lovely creamy gluey pages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. really getting. The other day, I caught myself in. I don't just do this with books. I caught myself in the video God. game shop, sniffing a video game. Oh, they were just plastic. I. <laughs> It's the it's the little instruction booklet on the inside. Yeah, just the really, laminate. It still has mm. just that lovely magazine-y sort of texture, yeah. and you just can't can't resist it. <laughs> it is weird. That I was like, I'm in the shop. To, I should stop. So we're going to have to ask you to leave. Yeah, this is it's not that sort of place. This is a, <laughs> this is a family. This store. is not a cigar shop. So. Yeah. Um, um, another big. If it's just a question of how to kind of keep interested in your reading and to motivate your reading. I would say the thing that has compelled me to keep up 
say fairly big numbers, you know, kind of half the amount of books that Tyler Cowen reads a year, Steve, unfortunately, <laughs> but about a hundred books a year has been... He's skimming some, remember? Yeah, I'm not skimming a thing. Um, has been the kind of gamification of readings, probably not the right, that's slightly too zeitgeisty way to say it, but just tracking and keeping data on what I've read. Oh, yeah. It's a hundred percent increased my capacity and ability to recall what I've read and to be kind of a useful person for making recommendations because if I wasn't writing them down and tracking them our friend yesterday we were at a dinner yesterday and asked me what I'd read recently I kind of blanked on it got home opened up my excel spreadsheet texted him and rattled off That's you know the exactly 10 I'd read I, do. Um, I have I have a Trello board if if ever if if you want to use one you can use excel but I I use Trello uh, it's just an online sort of thing you can sign up to for free and uh, you can make different boards on there of lists and so I have a board for books, <laughs> books, films and video games I did I have this year, I have a board for each and kind of just, just because people are my brother texts me occasionally, it's just like what are good TV shows I should see and then I just go through the list of like because you do, you just blur on everything you've been watching and seeing. So you just, just having it there, it's like, oh yeah, I watched all those movies this year. Here's the five that are actually worth seeing. Yeah. And, so uh, I do I do Excel and for, for mine, I'm looking at it now and I've broken it down, not super kind of data heavy, but title, author, year published, the date I finished reading it, the number of pages, whether it was fiction or non-fiction, the nationality of the author, and then my, I guess, rating out of 10 that is a combination of how objectively good I thought it was and how much I enjoyed it, and that number's a bit subjective. But um, that, that has really compelled me to read a load because I can you know, highlight everything from that year and I can add up the pages I've read. This year, I've read far fewer books at this stage of the year than I had last year, but I've read way more pages. So oh, I've actually read more and I'm reading bigger books. It's just that kind of stuff, if you're interested in it, yeah. it kind of compels you to keep going. The cool and thing about yours as well is you can actually, you could just filter by like every book I read that's post 2000. Yeah. So you could see all the books that are modern books that you've read. If yeah. And it's read. just, if you want to recommend to people, it's very easy to just do like a kind of search for everything with a rating over eight or, you know, whatever it would be. And a, f a friend of mine I was speaking to, uh, Harriet, reads tons as well. She's a, a very kind of voracious reader. And she said, I'm really desperate to get it off of her. She's had this like Excel package made. Uh, it's kind of a database thing that lets her build graphs with all this stuff. So she can make like, you know, page count graphs and you can see it based on the year if it goes up and down and like pie charts of page counts and like really drill into it. Mine doesn't let me do that because I'm not nerdy enough to know how to do it in Excel, but that would compel me even more, like mm. make it as kind of interactive as possible. Right, like, yeah. Just being able to track, everyone loves being able to track themselves, right? If you know how many steps you do a day, you'll do more the next yeah, day. Yeah, no, it's, it's... With reading, it's 100% the same. It's nice and it's really cool when you build up and you can each year look at like... Yeah, you can just you could just see the progress in the things that like it all adds up, right? And each book adds up to quite a lot. Yeah, and I, I've really enjoyed the the the, the nationality thing because I think it's also it kind of often I will have read a book from a country I've been to, and in many ways this thing kind of works as a bit of a diary. If I just scroll backwards, I kind of remember. Oh, I was reading that book. I'll generally remember where I was when I read it, and that's quite a nice yeah like measure of 
yeah, where you've been and what you've been culturally doing at that point. So yeah, for sure, track what you read. I might start doing it of what I write, George. I might Ooh. start tracking word count per day of That's just nice. total words I write of anything. That is nice. You're going to give it a rating. Not including emails. Rating out of 10 as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, tracking, tracking stuff really does work. And it's uh, it makes it more fun. Like, watching more films, I'm... Because you can constantly get this thing where you you just... I don't know, sometimes I'll end up watching the same films again or repeat viewings and not watching enough new stuff and... Just tracking it makes me realise like oh I haven't really it's been a while since I watched new things um, yeah and, and it makes me crowd out other this is another thing on on reading more but and I want to ask you this question George is what's what's a habit that is time draining that you have to crowd out for reading and to give context mine is I just I just don't watch any terrestrial or reality television and that's my kind of that's my hard rule of it's not that I have anything specifically against reality television. I just don't really want to fill up my time with it. I'm not interested in it. It doesn't make me feel great. And just things that are... That's one of those unconscious things like sitting and just channel flicking I find is a massive waste of time. Whereas if it's... I've set out to watch Fargo. Yeah. I want to watch these films. I find I get way more of those things than if I was sat all night for three hours. Well, for those kind watching. of the three years we lived together, we didn't have a tv did we in our flat in any of the yeah we had our laptops but in the communal spaces we didn't have that and it is it's so easy to just default to coming in putting the tv on and yeah makes it very hard to go and read especially if you're kind of obligated to kind of sit together and read yeah uh sit together and watch sorry so um yeah avoiding tv is a big one and now that i've uh, moved moved home for the short term at least there is a tv that's on often and you have to carve out a space in the house to go and do your reading I guess mine would be oh, mindless YouTube surfing I suppose is the closest thing right. to TV not mindless but that's a bit why I'm averse to the algorithm recommendations oh if you like this you might like this and you get sucked in they obviously just want to keep eyeballs on a page for as long as possible so fighting against that or fighting against mindlessly scrolling Instagram yeah those are the things that are are probably fighting for our attention and they're motivated by money to do so aren't they so yeah um yeah avoiding those and that's possibly for both of us is where we do like our jobs are based on those platforms yeah. so fighting against that is something i have to be conscious of. i would even say curtailing your like having having very strict amounts you allow yourself to read current affairs because i yeah. think you can it's fine if you buy some weekly magazine like the economist or something and you kind of do it in a chunk but i find if you if you get addicted to the rolling news cycle, you can spend hours feeling like you're getting more informed, but you're just you're just tracking daily nonsense. Well, in really. many ways, I think our generation, in terms of like words per day, probably reads more than any generation because yeah. they're uh, reading the Facebook news. Yeah, yeah, feed or no, whatever. no. That's why I don't think there's a crisis in reading. I think it's. I think if anything, it's just hard to make yourself read things that are worthwhile and quality. Well, there's a, I think there's a crisis in attention span and where that's applied. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's shifting it. I think more people probably read and write than they've ever read and wrote. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just like your mind filters to things that are either get you inflamed, get you angry, or that just snap up your attention with sort of garbage and sort of trivial. I'll tell you, know, you what. Gossip. I'll tell you what lets you read more: giving up exercise. Giving up exercise. Yeah. Pack that in. I've thought about Sit that. Sit and read. When I've you know I've been losing all the weight this year. Well, 
And sometimes I do think, God, there's a lot of reading time in that I could have been doing this. I suppose that's where the old audiobooks come in. But it's not really on the other hand, world. how many extra reading years do I get from my heart oh. being healthy? So it's it's quite an actually difficult. It's a difficult uh, equation morbid. to balance. Don't want to get morbid, but you get hit by a bus on a run. Worst and and again, worlds. that factors in as well. <laughs> so you're always trying to calculate the spending of your time. How much on health is worth it? Yeah. Probably unlikely I'll get hit by a bus, so it's probably still a good bet to bet on keeping yeah. the heart healthy. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Got any plans? Yeah, um, yeah but uh, I do find partly, you know, I, I've heard, I think it was Tyler Cohen as well who talks about this, but he just he just said part of it is you just have to stop doing some other things to read more. There's no, there's no like hack to just blazing through books and retaining comprehension. Most speed reading, I don't know any, I know very rare genetic freaks who are speed readers who, you know, like Harold Bloom or someone who's a Yale professor who's one of the most well-read people ever. It's like, it's very unusual to have some talent for speed reading. So in general, I, I don't know anyone who does it very well. Um, do you know anyone who is a great speed reader? I don't really. Elizabeth reads really fast. She does with high reading. George's fiance. Uh, um, how how do you how do your reading habits affect each other? Do you think you your well, really reading helps. inspires her, or do you think vice? Yeah, it really helps her? to obviously be in a or either you know have friends that read a lot or be in a relationship with someone that reads a lot. If you're someone who reads a lot and your partner or the people you live with don't, it's it can often be seen maybe as like a self indulgent. For people who don't read, it mm. can be seen as kind of an isolationist and quite self-indulgent pastime. I think it does sometimes. Um, Some people think you're you're being moody and unsociable yeah, when which you is go up to your room and often read. A, uh, something I'm very often accused of. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm in the fortunate position where, yeah, uh, Elizabeth reads tons, reads super fast, reads very... We have shared interests. We, like, recommend books to each other all the time. That's, like, a really nice And it nice sometimes thing. breeds a healthy... A sort of almost healthy competitive edge where you feel like I don't I don't want to get left behind. I if someone if everyone else around me is reading a lot, I want to actually be able to keep up yeah. the conversation here. Um, so it does kind of raise your game when people do that. But uh, yeah, I, I think um, it's good as well if you've got people who don't read exactly the same things as you because it is nice to get people just to pass it like that that curation thing as well. Just looking for people who who you enjoy their, the way they think and what they learn there's about. So, there's so many books out there, though, right? We have pretty much the same interests in everything, and we we could recommend each other books all day long, right? Yeah. There's tons of stuff that I've read that you've not. And but we still versa. find things that exactly. you know. Even though we share the same interests, just, you know, slightly different recommendations take you on slightly different paths. We can yeah. you know, really benefit from each other's slightly personal discovery of these things, right? Which could be because you've travelled somewhere or because you've asked a different person and it it just opens up so many opportunities. Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely exposing yourself to different... Yeah, just, just people who will bring you things is really good. Um, there was another thing I was going to say on something we were talking about. It's good podcast content, isn't it? We'll pause it here. Um, oh, what is it? So it's all going to get cut. So <laughs> um, oh, what was I going to say? I was about this first. Alright. <laughs> Academic reading versus pleasure. I don't think I remember. 
Oh, I think it was on the reading not being sociable thing. What was the thing you remembered? Oh, oh that was it. Um, yeah, feeling guilty for reading. I think that is definitely a thing where I've had to coach myself out of it. And I think it's something to do with feeling like, yeah, like you said, something about that, it being indulgent or it being... If you read a lot of novels, there's there's still a lot of propaganda out there that sort of says that oh, reading novels, you're just reading stories. You, you know, you're just reading made up stories and you're not really learning things. And, and there's this kind of... There is still, amongst the sort of hyper-achieving type A people, there is this weird prejudice that isn't... You know, there's a bit of snobbery about television stuff, but no one's like, oh, you're watching that prestige television drama. You're sitting and watching Mad Men. Like, most people sort of seem to think there's something to that. But, yeah, I, I think with fiction, there there's this sometimes this strange kind of... I think it's a... I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's it, there's a type A achiever who thinks, like, why, you know, you're just you're just doing the same thing. You're reading trivial, like... You know, you're just reading made-up stories. There's been a couple of recent studies that have sort of objectively measured that readers of fiction are far more empathetic than people who do not read fiction. And I would imagine the type A right. <laughs> achiever isn't the most empathetic. Right, but that people. person would that person who's that utilitarian will will think, well, I don't care about developing empathy. That's not going to help me achieve more. Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah, there's many people there's conclusion. many people who see reading as to serve an end, and they go, well. Why would I spend an, another minute reading fiction if I would read, if I can read a bunch more economics books? I would or probably, books. I would argue that empathy serves a utilitarian end, but irrelevant. To, like that's not. I I I agree. I mean, I yeah, I agree, I agree with that. I think but there's, there's if you just want to be a dry person, then sure, don't read or do anything outside of your specific area of expertise. Yeah, I've got to say, most of the people who have that opinion are not none of my close friends right, have that right, opinion. Right. So. It's not really people I, I fraternise with so much, but I have seen this opinion put out on, like, blo- you know, just occasionally some some moron's blog will go on a rant about fiction and be like, oh, you think you're spending loads of time reading? Well, what's the point in reading? Or they'll brag about how, like, I've seen some weird brag where someone said, like, I read this many books a year and none of them fiction. Like, as if it, it was, like, a sort of, yeah, I'm not sitting here reading pointless novels, sure, like, wasting yeah. my time on a beach reading you know, yeah. a love story or whatever they, however they see it. But yeah, I, I do find that a somewhat, I imagine those people are not very artistically interested or inclined in, you know, it's like saying why walk around a gallery if it's not, if it's not giving well, you some. Yeah. Drink fuel and get your, get your business built. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, I have heard that floated before where some people definitely have a, a guilt complex about reading a lot because it feels yeah, it feels indulgent. And I heard, heard Harold Bloom say some of his students have had that before where they feel maybe it's something to do with the way we're culturally uh, indoctrinated in a kind of productivity mindset. But he said even his students at Yale will have this guilt of like, oh, should I be sitting spending hours just reading the classics? And he was basically like, there's nothing better you could be spending your time doing. Like, yeah. And as a student, like, there's nothing better than deepening your knowledge of like the literature and stuff but yeah i I just think there's this sense of like okay but i've not i've got to get on and do things and yeah so i don't know can one overread yes i think you probably can if you're 
if we're just reading all of the same thing over and over again, you know? Depends what your depends what the goal is. Yeah. Uh, if it's purely enjoyment and you really purely enjoy just reading Chicklet or just, you know, uh, Bravo to Zero, you know, army novels, if that's your thing, that's great. You can't overdo that, I don't think. Yeah. But you can overread if you only read that genre but have the intention of broadening your knowledge base or understanding more about the world. Then I think you can overread one category and you're closing yourself off to others. That's about as much of overreading can you you overread in terms of it just crowding out too much time that might be spent on other yes i think i think you could be accused of overreading if you know (laughs) if you lost your job through sitting and reading james jones yeah or i'd love i'd love to go out with you you're just amazing sorry love uh sorry love the new you know new france new france is out uh, that might might be at the expense of like real life opportunities, but um, in general, no, I don't think it's a, a bad habit to have. Well, it's probably like that thing. I think someone asked Christopher Hitchens about, you know, what would would the world be better if there's too much reason, and he sort of said, "Let's cross that bridge if we ever get to <laughs> yeah, exactly." And it's sort of that thing of like, "Let's cross the bridge if people are reading too much literature." If if that happens, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and and yeah, I think the empathy thing does matter. I think in terms of this is purely anecdotal now, so I don't have evidence to support this. But a lot of the people I know who read widely um, in literary sense tend to be more, maybe somewhat less dogmatic or capable of of positioning themselves in. You know, this might be a definition of empathy, but they're, they're able to see things from more than one point of view and see how someone else could think differently from them and. I think that's a great advantage where you can, because you're able to just, you're able to go, well, I I could see how someone from a completely different walk of life or background or whatever gender, age, like would think like that. Well, and that's the exact utilitarian use of it that the dogmatic business builder would require really and to, to close themselves off to that is limiting the ability to develop a better customer base or understanding of their market or grouping, right? You always got to bring it back to the hard, the hard dollar, haven't you? <laughs> um, yeah, and I think there's loads of. Um, I think there are loads of benefits to just being able to put yourself in other people's. Yeah, just being able to put yourself in other people's shoes makes it a lot easier, even just in relating with people. I think, um, for sure. Um, how that's, long have we gone? Well, that's all my tips. That's all my tips done, Steve. That's his tips. Um, uh, yeah, so I would encourage you to. Well, we've told you everything we'd encourage you to do, but yeah, I think I think definitely if you're looking for like modern stuff, I think that Guardian list is a really good place to start because you'll get, yeah, you'll get like what a lot of people who are very widely read consider some of the best stuff you know of the last century now. So yeah, you'll probably find a lot of things to dip into there, and they had a nice mix of fiction and non-fiction. Yeah. Um, or, Steve, they could look at our Goodreads page. Thank God you mentioned it, because I was going to forget. But we do have a Goodreads page. You can find on our SoundCloud, Stephen George Podcast. And there's a book list of uh, pretty much all the books we've mentioned before on the podcast. So it's a whole bunch of mine and George's recommendations there that will get you get you rolling. And uh, give yourself a little challenge of, you know, an amount you want to read before the year's over. Um... We will come back to reading where we'll probably do one before the year's out on some of our best reads this year. Um, so plenty more recommendations coming. 
And uh, it's good to be back, George. It certainly is. I think we've got, <laughs> got the ball rolling again. Um, yeah, lots of things coming up. We've got some exciting journeys coming up. Uh, we'll be filling you in. And uh, we'll say bye for now. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Ta-ta!